How are you doing, Reagan? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We're we're making progress on things. We uh, finished a big project last night and created a a, a new um, thing for our clients that I'm really excited about uh, rolling out. So wonderful. Yeah. So good progress. Well, you it's sound, exhausting. You sound really good and energetic and upbeat, and uh, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> let's get after it. Let's I get got, after I, it. I'm not even wearing a sports coat today, which is <laughs> kind of strange. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I'm wearing, like, workout clothes, but <laughs> hopefully you'll accept me as I am. I, I will, because it's you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes. Well, I apologize in advance. I actually um, am sucking on a... Um, cough drop my uh, throat's kind of bothering me today a little bit of asmr this morning <laughs> so i have absolutely no notes on this conversation so it's just gonna be a completely off the cuff which is our favorite oh my goodness and i feel like no. you and i can handle it most people i feel like they need they need to be prepared but i think you got this i i i'm because i'm with you i'm comfortable and confident <laughs> well i appreciate that I figured I could do a whole interview with his accent so that way people wouldn't know it's the same guy you had on a couple of weeks ago. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Let's do it. We'll do it together. For uh, for St. Patty's Day, we actually had a Hewitt Chamber, uh, one of the Chamber of Commerce events, and I did my whole commercial in an Irish accent, and I was the only person. I couldn't believe it <laughs> that no one else had that idea. But um, <laughs> No, they probably had the idea. They just couldn't execute on it like you. That would that may be it. Yeah, it was a, it was a lack of uh, it was a lack of uh, gumption. <laughs> I, I did have I had a client who I told I was going to do that, and she intentionally sat on the other side of the room because she oh. didn't want to follow me. Oh, she was like, I can't go after that. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I want a hundred billion dollars too. Hey guys, welcome to a bonus episode of Making It to Market, the podcast where we talk about everything related to taking your product or service idea through to commercialization. I am Dahlia. Good morning. Reagan Patterson, I'm so happy to have you back on this show. What an honor to be uh, invited back. Thank you so much for having me. Well, How are you doing? I'm doing great. I had so much fun talking to you on the last time. So like, you know, we just need to continue this conversation because I feel like you offer a perspective that many people might not be thinking about. Well, thank you. It's a, it's an honor to be here and happy to, uh, to spend some time with you and see, see what, uh, where the conversation leads us today. Well, I know, like, I think I'm on a track now of talking about why businesses fail. So the question I'm asking everybody on these podcasts. So, and I, I think that's one of your favorite topics is talking about why businesses fail and maybe how to overcome some of that. I read this book called E-Myth Revisited. I think it was maybe three years ago, four years ago. A friend of mine told me about it. And uh, and I think the, he's got, does he have several books out, Michael Gerber? I believe he does. Yeah, yeah the author is Michael Gerber. I can check right now, actually. Yes, he does. He's he's written several books. Yeah, I think, I think the one that I read was about working in in your business versus on your business and versus on what is it working on your business instead of in your business correct yes. yeah yeah that's the one i read a friend of mine told me about that he has a, a 
Mark Webster out of New Zealand, my one of my friends, told me about it. Um, and he says, Dolly, I think you really need to read this book about creating a, a, a scalable, lifelong business. And, and it was just really nice read. Um, and so he's got this book, E-Myth Revisited, Michael Gerber, Why Most Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. Um, I know it was a, it's, it's been out for quite a while, 1995, I think. Um, but I think that the concepts are still relevant. Um, so he talks about businesses failing and he gives some pretty intimidating numbers, which is actually very discouraging. So he says 40% of businesses fail in the first year and then another 80% by year five. And so what happens if you make it to year 10, Reagan? So it's, it actually doesn't actually get better for you. If you make it to year 10, it's another 80% of businesses will also not reach their 10th birthday. Oh, so it's, it's, and it's a great read and and we'll, we'll talk about several of the concepts there, but if you actually, if, if you're a numbers person, like I am, and you start to actually put some numbers to that and you say, okay, well, let's, let's take a sample of a hundred new startups, right? In your city, in your community. Let's talk about that. Let's say that there's 100 new startups. Let's put those into the stats that uh, Michael Gerber talks about in, in his great book. So after year one, right, 100 start, how many get to celebrate their first birthday? It's 60. <sighs> Only 60 out of 100. But let's say you get to year five, right? You're there with, with 11 other businesses mm. because only 12 are actually going to make it to year five. And how about year 10? If you are lucky enough to celebrate your 10th birthday in business, it's you and one other business. So I'm celebrating 10 years actually in July this year. Can't Congratulations. believe it. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. But I did it very yeah. lean. Like I did it very in a very lean way. So very limited overhead. Well, in my head it was, but not reality, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 10 years, it's amazing. That, that is amazing. And, and, and so the concept here is, you know, it, it, it goes into why do we create our businesses, right? Why? I mean, those stats are very bleak. And, and as you mentioned, 1995 was when the book came out. Let's say that, that the market in the last, you know, 27 years has actually gotten much more favorable for startups. Let's say that we're even talking about doubling those, the success rate. Mm -hmm. Right. Not necessarily the failure rate, but let's say we're talking about doubling the success rate. So if that's doubled, then by the end of year 10, maybe four out of 100 businesses survive. So it is still a very challenging concept. And and one of those, like you mentioned, I'm very passionate about proactively addressing why does this occur? Right. Because when we think about small businesses, small to medium sized businesses, it's the lifeblood of our economy. Mm -hmm. It's what keeps our economy churning. Mm -hmm. So when, when a business shuts down in our community, what is the impact? Yeah. And we call this the three L's. It impacts their livelihood. It impacts their life mm. and it impacts their legacy. Oh. Okay. Now let's also think about if that business had employees. Right. What's the impact to the community? Yeah, because those employees no longer have a place where they can be employed. So livelihood, life, legacy, the community impact. These are all significantly 
it's like a ripple effect, right? When a business closes mm -hmm. and we just heard the stats and, and how bleak it is. And so I want to dedicate my talents to assisting businesses to be proactive to why they're shutting down, why our business is shutting down, right? When we think about it, and I'll get into a room full of business owners at, at a conference and I'll, I'll ask them, I said, who's in the room? Has anyone here ever been an employee? Right. And people will raise their hand. Who in here has never been an employee? Right. And very rarely will ever someone raise their hand and say, I've never been an employee. I've always been a business owner. So the concept is that we as business owners have also been employees. So we know kind of two different sides of the coin. Right. And so why are we deciding to go from employee to business owner? Everyone has a different reason. And that's a wonderful thing. Right. It's hmm. the American dream. Yeah. Right. We're we're trying to create value We're we're wanting to be our own boss. Right. We have we want to provide for an unlimited potential for family. Hmm. And that's where the concept of what Michael Gerber talks about. It's also something that we we preach within Action Coach is you only move your business forward by working on your business and not just in your business. Mm -hmm. If you're a business owner that only works in your business, then I have a tough question to ask. Do you really own a business mm. or do you own a job? <laughs> you become your own employee. That's right. Mm -hmm. And your boss is a jerk <laughs> because he's going to ask you or she's going to ask you to work harder <laughs> for less pay and you may be working free. Somebody asked me that question last week. It's funny. They asked me. What happens if you get mad at your boss? <laughs> I said, well, I just take a deep breath and I walk away. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reality, too, is that that you're better off being an employee of someone else than an employee in your own business, because if you get sick and you're, you're a solopreneur or you're a business that you don't really, it doesn't run without you, yeah, right? The business only runs with you in it. Mm -hmm. Then if you get sick, if something happens to you health wise, if you get in an accident, you don't, you don't have paid time off. Yeah. The business doesn't continue to move forward. That's true. And, and so in a lot of instances, you're actually better off being an employee of someone else's business than an employee within your own business. And that's where in Action Coach, we have what we define as a successful business. Now, I want to be clear here. We're not defining what success looks like okay. for other people, because that's the beautiful thing about our framework is I want to collaborate and sit beside a business owner to help them achieve what they want out of their business. Okay. But we do want to have a framework on what a successful business looks like as far as the structure. Mm -hmm. So it is a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you, <laughs> without the business owner. See, you, you're doing really good until you said without me. <laughs> this is where, this is where we normally lose people, right? Yeah. Because, because a lot of times we have commercial operations, right? But they're not profitable. Well, so that's not really a successful business. So we have to add profitable, right? A commercial profitable. Then we get to the structure, right? Making sure that the business is in place. So now it's an enterprise. So commercial profitable enterprise. Great. But it's got to work, right? So that's why we add that works. And then again, 
like the e-myth, like what we, what we build and work with our clients, the business, in order for you to be a business owner in the true sense, it has to work without you. And that's where we lose a lot of people. How, like, yeah. So like, okay, you, you've got your business and you, okay. Oh, this is so overwhelming because you know, as a business owner, you know, you've got to have this operational without you, but how do you get to that point? Like, what are the micro steps? Uh, are there micro steps even, or is there a different mindset that we have to have? How do we get there, Reagan? Those are great questions. Um, and, and, and it really depends on where you're at right now in your business. We do, we have a framework that uh, we've been developing for the last three decades. Um, it's called the six steps okay. and it's six steps to have a business that runs without you. Uh, uh. Obviously there's, there's, uh, additional sub steps within each of the six steps. Um, but a lot of it depends on where the business is right now in the business life cycle, the complexity, the marketability of the product. If there's, if there's a strong foundation of cash, then it allows us to scale a little bit faster because, you know, it takes cash to, to scale a business, right? We can actually, and this is something that, that is really interesting with all of the resources and tools that we have, we can actually grow a business too fast mm -hmm. because does it take cash? to generate leads. Well, yes, it does. So we have to make sure that we're monitoring cash flow mm. in order to grow the business at an appropriate level and pace. And on the flip side, if all of a sudden we, we double or triple the amount of business that is coming into that business uh, owner's doors, does the production capacity, is the production capacity there to provide the same kind exactly. of service to the consumer, to the market, right? Because we can grow the demand much faster than we can the supply. And then the brand reputation Amen. suffers, the product quality suffers. Yeah. And, and that's a quick way to go out of business as well. Yeah, it reminds me of people who are saying, hey, let me help you increase your marketing and your sales and your leads. And like, I honestly, I don't want to grow. I'm like, I'm not in that position. Like, I know it sounds crazy because most people are like, oh, let me get as much business as I can. But I'm actually the opposite. Um, I want to do this slowly and methodically because if I just start taking in a whole bunch of customers all at one time, how am I going to divide my personal attention with all of those people and still provide them a quality product or quality service? It's um, it's like there's a waiting list, and it's done in it's done because I want to be able to manage their expectations and mine, and and still be on top of them as if they were my only customer. You know, I don't want to, I think that's part of my business model. If I start letting in, you know, opening the gate, then it erodes my morale. It erodes the quality. It erodes the business model that I have. And, and I, I guess that really comes down to what kind of business do you want to have? You want to sell so, widgets or do you want to have that personal attention? Well, so, so let me, let me ask you a question here because that's a great, great conversation. Can you have personal attention within your business where it's not you that's providing that yes i mean you could train people you can set up automation on things and um yeah there's some extent to that but then there's also you can't necessarily provide an expertise across all levels not everyone has that expertise you know so there might be some i have to make contact with them at some so point. so do you want to have a business that runs without you no <laughs> 
I know it sounds like a, I'm like total opposite. No, because it's part of my fun in this is being involved and seeing a project go from nothing to something and okay. taking the pride in it and then having that relationship. But again, I think it goes back to what kind of business do you want to have? I think there, so, I, I think it would be great to have some autonomy and like be able to take a vacation and then have somebody else run the show. Um, but again, it's a very unique expertise, at least from what I'm doing anyway. But if a general business owner trying to sell a widget or trying to sell a service, yeah, you can automate that thing. You can train. I mean, how else do franchises exist if you don't have this model, right? I mean, that's essentially how franchises are alive is replicating without the owner being there. But I guess it depends on the business too. Well, so, and, and back to your question. So when I say, do you want the business to run without you? You assumed that that meant that you couldn't be as involved as you want to be. Uh-huh. Yes, right? I but, did assume But that, if yeah. you choose to not be as involved, you have that choice because the business can run without you. Mm-hmm. So now reframing yeah. that. So the, I want the want... choice to go on vacation. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. You want the business, right? Because the other way to ask that question, right? Do you want the business to run without you is, do you want to have residual income? Of course. Who doesn't? And yet certain people will say, I don't want the business to run without me. Mm -hmm. And so when I ask that follow-up question, do you want residual income? Well, yes. Well, why are we not building the business to where you can be as involved as you want to, but it can run without you? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we have what, what, what you just expressed to me and, and everyone feels like they are irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. I will tell you my time in corporate America showed me true. that that is <laughs> not true. Yeah. Um, and, and while we all have unique talents and skills and expertise that no one else has, right? And that's kind of the beautiful thing about how we're created. We all have our own unique fingerprint, right? So we, there is no other one like you. That is 100% accurate and it's beautiful. The way that I work with business owners is how do we extract your talents? How do we build you up to become more and at the same time build the business structure to where we're retaining that talent, your expertise. We're trying to build systems that, that way someone else can follow. Because oh, I agree with that. When we talk about scale, we talk about growth, we have to be proactive to address, this is a nasty T word, <laughs> turnover. Uh-huh, yeah. Right? Because when we grow, we have to expand capacity, which means we have to expand team. When we have our current team, right, certain team members may not be able to handle additional volume, whether it's transactional volume, whether it's individual capacity, so we have to either add another team member or we have to try to like the concept of good to great Jim Collins, right? We move them to a different seat on the bus, right? Right. right? Because we've grown them into something else. But when we move them and, I, and I've heard this in corporate America, which is which is honestly disgusting. <laughs> you are too good at your job right now. Oh, yes. For me to promote you. <laughs> so insulting. It is. And yet it happens. So we want to develop and extract the, that expertise into that role. So that way we have how the role is performed at that standard. We have it documented. So that way we can move someone up into a new role and we can backfill that position with much less 
turmoil, chaos, all of the things, which is why people fear the word turnover. Mm -hmm. But we need to be developing turnover as being prepared for it, just like, and, and I'm sure we'll get back to it as well. We need to be proactive for why businesses fail. Mm -hmm. We need to be proactive to prepare for turnover because that's a good thing. You're getting fresh talent, fresh ways to look at things. You're, you're growing, right? That's, that's the type of turnover that we want to have. Mm -hmm. And it's not where, you know, we trust Susie because she's been doing this role for 30 years. And gosh, you know, whenever she looks at retiring, we're going to have a really hard time backfilling her role. Right. Yeah. At some point, Susie's not going to be there. Right. And at some point too, if Susie's always been doing something the same way for 30 years, maybe it is the best way that it could be done, but perhaps there's a better way to look at it, right? Additional efficiencies. Mm -hmm. It's one of, one of the rules that I had when I was uh, managing an a admin and finance team in Fortune 500. If we had a process that we hadn't looked at for three years, it was time for us to reevaluate. We want to look at cost benefit. We want to look at kind of the concept of Kaizen, mm -hmm. right? Continuous improvement. What are, what are some ways for us to reevaluate and, and determine is there a more efficient way of doing things? When, when I took over a company that we did an acquisition in 2016, um, it, it took a while for us to evaluate the status quo. So about a year into it, I started to, to ask some additional questions, what I would call higher hanging fruit, mm. right? <laughs> okay. and, and so I got to a process where we had an, an admin person that was taking 20 hours a week, so half of their job. Right. And we were we were growing and scaling. So we were starting to get pressure points. And so that's where it was starting to evaluate. OK, what's the value that we're extracting from this process? We cut that 20 hour job. It was it was put in place on a just in case someone asks, we have the file stored digitally. So and this was a big push to do everything digitally, but we already had the physical pages printed. Once we scanned it, now we had it digitally, but it still went into the filing cabinet that we kept for six months. Well, we rarely had to pull either the digital file or the physical file. So what we ended up doing was we're just not going to store it digitally any longer. And if we get a request, we have it for the, the time that we need for mm -hmm. six months. So we ended up cutting out about 19 hours of work. That's smart. And we mm -hmm. freed up this and, it, and it's and it's work like that that happens in organizations. And True. it starts because, hey, this is a great idea. We want to be. Uh, you know, we want to be able to pull that quickly, but mm -hmm. how often does that request happen, mm -hmm. right? So this is the concept of reevaluating whether it's turnover, whether it's um, the Kaizen approach, how, how mm -hmm. do we look at things for continuous improvement? And, and we extracted a tremendous amount of benefit from just challenging the status quo. Yeah. I think that's really important to be continuously observing processes and outcomes and seeing I think everyone, not just management, should be thinking about process improvement, efficiencies. What do you think about it, that? Oh, I 100% agree, but it's also a challenge because it needs to be built into your culture. Agreed, yeah. And that's scary for some companies because they, and, and I actually fought in, in one of my corporate positions, I fought having the expectation actually wrote out that you're an expert in your job because you should know your job better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And they said, we don't want our people to think of themselves as experts because then they're going to start to want more compensation. Uh, and I said, that is disgusting. so political. 
Yeah, that's oh. disgusting. You can be an expert at greeting people at Walmart. And if you get value from that and you agree for the wage, for the compensation, I want you to be an expert at that. You should feel proud that you are the best greeter at Walmart. There is zero shame in that. And for a corporation to try to say, we don't even want you to view yourself as an expert, I think that's gross. Now, I want to <laughs> clarify, this was I was not working for Walmart, <laughs> nor was I writing policies for how they should greet people. So this is just an example. Um, so when we talk about creating continuous improvement within a culture, it needs to be you know, kind of the concepts that we talked about last time, the seven keys to a winning team, right? Everyone on the team needs to have a voice and needs to be empowered to ask the question, what value are we extracting from this process? Not only knowing how to do something, but the why behind the what. Mm -hmm. And to feel empowered to say, hey, we're going to continue to hit the standard of the results, right? The output will continue to be at the standard, but is there a way that we can we can tweak some of these internal processes to get there. And that's a challenge for a lot of people because they're, they're not empowered to think that way. Mm -hmm. They're not empowered to own the process. They're just told and dictated what to do. And when we empower the individuals to take ownership of not of specifically the result, but then also the process to achieve the result. Right. And we encourage creativity, right? It's one of the seven keys to winning team was, was to support risk-taking. It's risky to change something that's been working, right? And that example I said earlier, Susie's been in the corner working for 30 years and she's she's a rock star, that's great. It's risky for us to say, hey, what if we tweaked some of these things? Mm -hmm. well, maybe the result may not, be, may not be as at the standard. Okay, but maybe it's above the standard. Mm -hmm. Maybe we still hit that same standard within a tolerance, but we're saving significant amount of input time right? We're finding efficiencies. We're finding, we're finding areas there. And that is something that needs to be built into the culture where the company and the, the leadership and the management teams support that kind of risk-taking. They support that kind of continuous improvement and, it, and understand that it's not always going to be home runs, right? It, it may be a base hit. It may, it may be, you know, three strikes and you're out and you go, okay, well, like Thomas Edison, we learned how not to make a light bulb right there. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Um, but a lot of this goes into, you know, managers, I don't want to, I don't want to have a too broad of a brush, but there's a lot of managers. There's a lot of business owners that are afraid to empower a team. Why is and that? Afraid. I, I think it has to do with, um, I think it has to do with insecurity and job, um, kind of lack of confidence and kind of the the ability of if i if i'm the only one that knows how to do this well now i have security yeah yeah and and so i'm not going to build up my team i'm not going to share the praise mm. um right it's it's the concepts of what weak leadership is right we deflect blame and we accept all the the, the praise and accolades um whereas true leadership should be the exact opposite everything that goes wrong is my fault Everything that goes right, it's because I've got a rock star team, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and that that is a that is a place of that's that's why true leadership is is somewhat rare because that's hard for us to accept because yeah. that means that I am expendable because everything that's wrong is my fault, right? So anything that goes wrong is, gosh, we got this Reagan guy that's that's continuing to cause problems, 
right? Even if it's my team members that are causing the problems, it's my responsibility. Right. And I'm the one that's accepting that. And I'm saying, hey, this is, this is what happened. It was my fault. I'm taking ownership and we're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when things go great, it's, it's the team, right? So when, when overhead cuts come, especially if you're in corporation, right, then that's, that's where it gets really easy to say, Hey, this person's expendable. Now in business ownership, and I've had several conversations with business owners, this concept is about building up the team, right? Training the team to become better assets for the company. I think we talked about the second law of thermonuclear dynamics. You're either growing or you're dying. So if you're not growing your team, if you're not growing your business, if you're not investing in your people, then your business is, is by nature receding and dying. Yeah. Well, it sounds like employee selection is also incredibly detrimental to the success and failure of your business. If we're talking about why businesses fail, well, so with with that, are we assuming that when you select an employee that you can't deselect an employee later? Reagan, deselect an employee. I mean, I you can, but I think too you're spinning your wheels too. I think we talked about this last time in training and spending your effort that way when it could be working um, on your business instead of in your business. Because I I kind of think training and all that is part of working in your business Mm -hmm. and it's very time consuming to perhaps select wrong people or people that need a lot of attention and then it just kind of derails a lot of your progress um so like and that can be uh you know if you just can if you don't know how to hire people properly that can like bring your business down pretty fast it can yep then that's that's where there's and and like you said i think we'll we'll dive into some of the um unique approaches that action coach has for hiring to ensure that we're able to really be able to view the candidate in several different facets in a short amount of time Mm. right because the concept here is well gosh this person interviewed really well right and you know the stats most people lie on their resume Mm -hmm. right and you know tell me about a time you had an issue with the coworker. I've never had an issue with the coworker. Mm-hmm. I'm a perfect employee, right? And they they know how to answer, they know how to present, but then they get in the role and they don't really understand what the role looks like. So, yeah. right, so there's that concept of hire slow, fire fast. Um, we if you make a, a series of bad hires and you're not proactively addressing either how to hire better the next time or how to correct the behavior and quickly address deficiencies and part ways with, with a team member that is not pulling their weight and not meeting the standards required in that position, then absolutely that will be a recipe for disaster for a business because you're going to be expelling a tremendous amount of resources, both in cash exactly. that's not getting a return on investment, right. as well as your time and your focus on things that are that are not going to be moving the business forward because mm-hmm. they're problems. Absolutely. And this is very common. It's a commonplace, unfortunately. It is. And, and I think a lot of it is we, we live in a time where it's, it's confrontational to fire someone. Um, and I mean, I, I've, I've seen it firsthand and kind of question, how does this person still have a job? Um, and and it, is, it is baffling to me. 
um, how that exists and how we just tolerate mediocrity, mm-hmm. that goes back to the culture too, right? Mm-hmm. Because if if we proclaim, hey, we are the best team and we have the best results and we are, you know, this is our cornerstone of performance, and then you tolerate several team members that are not performing. And I, I think we talked about this, right? We have, we have cultures where we reward low performers and penalize high performers. Mm-hmm. And that stems at, in my opinion, lazy management, mm-hmm. where we're not addressing things proactively. We're just appeasing the low performers and we're continuing to pull work off of them and give it to the people that, that um, are already doing more work. To learn more about Reagan and his business, Action Coach, check him out on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Alignable, and his website, mctx.actioncoach.com. Don't forget, Reagan is R-A-G-A-N. Information and links are in the show notes. Reagan, well, I'm so glad that you were on this show today. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. This is a joy as always. (laughs) Thank you. And hopefully we'll have you back again because there's some more things I want to talk to you about. Terrific. I, I'm, I am open at, to being back on anytime.